Well, all the various machinery here seems to be indicating that I am live. I don't need that much microphone in my life, though. Hey, Rob Curry. Thanks for that dope track last week. Let's hear Link Reagan again. Curry Brothers with our theme, Link Ray Gun. After our Halloween theme they supplied us with last week. Very, very nice of them. Very spooktacular. We are back. It is November, and as noted, I don't know if anybody else is doing this, but uh, I saw a thing on a social media page, specifically Facebook, uh, Stephen Beaumont talking about the fact that he thinks <coughs> the kids these days... Just don't know enough about Belgian beer, and he wanted to uh, make November Belgian Beer Month. Put the focus on the Belgian beers. And, uh, hey, I mean, I didn't have anything planned for November, so why the heck not? Apologies in advance. <clears throat> you are going to hear me doing that a lot. It's going to clip my microphone if I don't remember to turn my head away. You'll hear me snuffling a lot, and I'm not making any assurances about the quality of my uh, my my taste receptors right now. Uh, there has been a cold going through the Schreier household, and I have it. The good news is I don't feel particularly sick. I'm not tired or any of that sort of malaise kind of feeling. On the other hand, I do have a bit of a runny nose, and uh, as of about 15 minutes ago, a uh, catch in my throat. Anyhow, <clears throat> as noted, that's going to happen a lot tonight. <clears throat> With that in mind, we might just go ahead and dive in. We got a big, big bottle, uh, both figuratively and literally. If you are watching the video, you will notice this is a, I don't even know, is this a 650, 750 mil bottle? It's got to have a volume on it somewhere. Holy moly, it's 750 milliliters. It's a wine bottle. I'm about to have a wine bottle's worth of beer that clocks in at 8% alcohol. I might be feeling a little malaise tomorrow, but it won't be related to the cold. No, indeed. And also, in what might be a Toronto Beer Podcast first, we are dealing with a caged and corked champagne-style closure on this here bottle. I do have a tulip glass Spiegelau, good quality stuff. I did just wash it, but I'm not going to make any assurances. It was sitting on the shelf for a long time. I don't reach for tulips too often, but when you're drinking a Belgian, a lot of the time, depending on the Belgian, let's be honest, Stella Artois Belgian, ostensibly, but when you're drinking a, a, an Abbey-style beer, you got to drink it out of a chalice or <clears throat> maybe a leather flagon. Anyway, uh, I'm going to open this carefully and hope that we don't have an explosion. Um, these beers can be pretty active. Well, the cork didn't try and get away the instant I opened it. And actually, I'm looking at this right here. I've got another... Oh, I know what this is from. I did open this on the podcast, though. This was a caged and corked bottle. It was homebrew, though. Slightly different. It wasn't a commercial beer. It's the first commercial one. High potential for 
surging. That's what we would call it in the biz. Here we go. Ready? Okay. It's moving. Yeah, here we go. I mean, that sounded right. I'm happy to report. Dead still in there. Bit of... Bit of Belgian air. It smells caramelly. And, uh... <clears throat> bit of the old, uh, you know, the, the little mist you get when you open something carbonated. We had a bit of the mist. Okay, I'm gonna do this pour on screen. Here we go. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Okay, we can all see there. I think. Oh, there was even a bit of the mist coming out of the bottle just then. Hot damn. Try and make sure I give it a good, generous head. Yeah, okay, that glass isn't perfectly clean. Not even close, but it's cl it's not terrible. It's not terrible, friends. I didn't polish it out with a microfiber cloth, so, you know, jokes may be on me. Oh, actually, it doesn't look nearly as dirty. I think there was just some bubbles clinging from the pour. Looks fine. Deadly clean, I would say, to use an unusual adjective. Anyhow... Uh, again, apologies for the snuffling, but it's the only way we're going to get through this, and it's going to be together, so here we go. Oh, by the way, uh, because some of you are listening, most people who consume this podcast do it just through their ears, not video. Who knew? <coughs> this is a slightly hazy, definitely not clear, uh, honey amber color, nice fluffy whiteheads dropped to, I don't know, maybe around a centimeter. It was up around three or four when I first poured it. It's being well supported, though. Nice rocky head, I think is what they would call that. Very nice. All right, now I'm going to smell it with my snuffly face. Oh, man. So the thing is, it's just distinctive and delightful. I don't necessarily know that blind I could have told you that this was La Trappe, which is from, um, did I say it by the way? That's La Trappe Triple, which is from a Dutch Trappist brewery called Koningshoven. Uh, I don't necessarily know if I could have told you it was La Trappe, but I would have told you immediately it was a triple. So... <clears throat> you get some big esters off of the uh, Belgian yeast. By the way, I know it's Belgian beer month and I just told you this beer is Dutch. That's going to happen a lot. Uh, this is a Belgian style of beer made by Trappist monks in the Netherlands. So just go with me on it. <clears throat> um, yeah, estery, peppery, maybe a little clovey notes from the yeast right away. Mm, like uh, honey and candy sugar on the malts. Some wheat, probably. I think there's some wheat in here. Uh, uh, stone fruit. Yeah, like apricots. Yeah, totally. And maybe even a little bit like dried apricot. A little jammy. Uh, orange marmalade, probably. Something apple-y, maybe, and something a little floral. It actually almost smells a little bit like uh, like an apple tree in bloom. 
Did I mention peppery with that uh, yeasty ester? Clovey and a little peppery. And like literally like pepper, pepper. Like what you grind out of a mill. Huh. All right, I'm going to taste it. I know I just said a lot of things, but also I'm congested. I might have gotten more on a better day. Mmm, 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 mmm. Hmm. Okay. So many things happening at once. Ooh. Oh. The finish on this beer is just... Every, every aspect of it is delightful, but the finish is particularly nice. Yeah. So similar to the aroma, you get, um, I mean, obviously because it's in your mouth now, the first thing actually that you become aware of is a very active prickly <clears throat> carbonation. I was going to try and come up with another adjective there. It's, it's, it, it's very carbonated, um, like very, like champagne. -y. It's very good. Uh, there's also a very nice weight to the beer in your mouth, despite all the carbonation. Then you are immediately uh, made aware of the fact that that yeasty ester is definitely still there. It does lean peppery more than clovey or like all spicy. Sometimes you can get a bit of that. This is very much peppery. I like it. Definitely <clears throat> like dried apricot, maybe peach, some orange marmalade which actually there's a bit of it's not it's not like when you get hoppy orangeness it's more like there's some bitterness which i think actually is the hops but i don't like i'm almost certain they're not using like cascade or something in here that provides orange from the hop i think that orangey note is coming probably from a mix of there's some wheat in here i'd almost guarantee you so a bit of that weedy tang and then um, some stuff coming out of the yeast. So, yeah, orangey dried apricots, but like, again, orange marmalade, which also speaks to the sugariness. Um, spirit probably has candy sugar in it or like rock sugar or something, um, which gives it a bit of a honey or like, well, sugary kind of note. Um, and with that oranginess, I think it's kind of making me go like, oh, yeah, like marmalade or like a preserve, uh, but definitely like dried apricots, but also for sure peachy. When I mentioned that there was like uh, something floral and it was like an apple tree in bloom, that's kind of almost touching on peachiness now, that florally fruitiness. Again, some of that floralness is probably coming from whatever hop is used in here. This is not a hop-driven beer by any standard. It's quite sweet, in fact. Um, like in flavor profile, I'm not sure if in terms of actual sugar content, like weight, if it's sweet, but um, but it is quite sweet tasting. Um, and then the finish, interestingly enough, it's quite dry. But then after you've swallowed, you get this little bit of alcoholic heat that somehow also lights up some sweetness sensors on your tongue. Um, so you get this little bit of a, a sweet kind of thing. Um, this is a very, I mean, it is a classic triple. Everybody who knows anything about this sort of stuff knows it's a classic triple, but this is a classic triple uh, for a reason. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. It, by the way, if you're just tuning in, is La Trap. Triple. 
Trappist beer from the Netherlands, from Koningshoven. Uh, big, 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 big bottle of beer. Uh, <clears throat> so what should we, how should we, there's a few things we need to unpack here. Uh, this beer, by the way, exceptional, available at the LCBO. I think it was like eight bucks for the bottle, which when you consider it's a 750 milliliter bottle, puts it just a little ahead of my, uh, uh, penny per mil, uh, measure, uh, which is amazing when you think that it's an 8% beer that had to come from the Netherlands that was made by literal Trappist monks in a literal Trappist monastery. It's impressive. Um, I mean, okay, so what are you going to eat with it? Uh, it's going to go great with a bunch of cheeses, possibly even a Trappist cheese, like Shime does make cheese as well as beer. I don't know if Koningshoven does. Um, but just a nice, slightly funky, maybe a little soft cheese, very creamy. Cream is going to go well with this because um, there isn't any like fatty richness in the beer, and so they're going to play well that way. The other thing, uh, Belgian triples, uh, you got to be a little careful with the triples. You tend to do it more with like a Blondale, um, but they do great as the cooking liquid in mussels. And I know I think I've brought up mussels a couple of times recently, but that's a genuine thing, and it's very Belgian. So you could definitely do that. Pardon me. It would also go exceptionally good with uh, like some sort of a fish or a seafood dinner instead of a, a wine. If you're thinking of like a white wine, if you think about it, a lot of the flavor things that I just referenced, like peaches, um, orange marmalade, dried apricot, that sort of stuff that shows up in beers, uh, beers and kind of tired today, guys. Sorry. Uh, in wines like a Sauvignon Blanc, that's not uncommon. I'm not really getting anything grapey off of this beer, but sometimes that can show up in a triple too, which is delightful. Hmm. Talking about wine makes me think. I think I get a little bit of oak off of this. This might have spent some time in a fooder, or maybe they use like pitch lined oak fermenters or something. I don't know, actually. I mean, I taste it. I don't know if that's what I'm tasting and if that's where it comes from, but I've got a little woody kind of pop to it. Anyway, um, it, it's obviously not a one to one um, swap, but in a lot of places where you might use like a drier, <clears throat> maybe slightly fruitier uh, white wine, um, you could certainly try and, and use this instead. Um, it will be different, uh, but also very very tasty but yeah if you were having like a lobster boil with like some nice you know drowned butter and some sides this would go really good with like steamed shellfish for sure uh talking about triples so uh i should have actually brushed up on my history on this i haven't talked about this in years um and that's part of the reason why Stephen Beaumont wanted to make this month Belgian Beer Month, uh, because they just don't get the attention they used to. Unless it's a Saison. If it's a Saison, it gets plenty of attention. Uh, that's a Belgian style of beer. It's one that we won't probably do this month, because I do Saisons a lot anyway. And better to draw attention to some of the other styles. But uh, what you get uh, in, in Belgian beers, um, you can kind of think of them like in a hierarchy. And starting at the bottom, you have a 
a blonde, um, which typically is around five, five and a half percent alcohol made with a Belgian uh, uh, ale yeast, which is going to have some serious esters to it. A lot of spices, um, same sort of things that you might sometimes get in wheat beers. Incidentally, uh, also highly probable that it's going to have some wheat in the malt bill as well as uh, barley. Not required, but it's often the case. Um, And then sometimes... um, you can get other things um, more with wit beers, like white beers. They'll put in like uh, um, coriander and like orange peel and stuff. Um, but there are instances, I believe, where you, you run into that with a uh, with a with a what am I saying <laughs> with a blonde uh, next up from that. So blonde again, four and a half to five and a half around five, five and a half. Most of the time um, you get a double, which is fun to spell because it's D-U-B-B-E-L kind of funny uh they tend to be quite dark they often have um some uh, darkly roasted malts in them and like they're brown to very dark brown in color and therefore show some of those malt characteristics you get more like dark fruit dried fruit jammy fruit you can get darker bready notes like pumpernickel or like brown bread um and then same yeast often, but interacts with those flavors in a much different way. Um, and so often those spices become more evident somehow. Uh, and they also tend to be uh, higher alcohol. And I think they normally kind of clock, well, like the next level up. So like five and a half to sort of six and a half, seven ish. Um, then you get triples, uh, which is what we're drinking tonight. Triples tend to go back to golden, but they don't get as light as uh, as as a as a, a blonde would. Um, they tend to have a little tinge of orange to them. They've got something else interesting going on in there. But uh, part of that is uh, they often do, I was mentioning this, probably has some sort of sugar in it, um, like dextrose. Uh, candy sugar is the normal thing used in, in Belgian uh, brewing in that context. So this is just like table sugar um, that uh, you heat up to a certain point and as sugar heats, it, obviously it melts. Uh, well, I say, obviously, maybe you didn't know that, but it does. Uh, it melts into a, 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 a you know, sticky mass um, and it can boil and then it'll start to kind of color. But uh, as it hits different temperature things, uh, if you if you get to a certain temperature, then cool it down. Structurally, the crystals in the sugar will align differently. And so even though it's chemically the same product, it it um, behaves differently uh, in in uh, in in certain contexts. So, for instance, candy sugar, I can't remember the temperature, but it's like I want to say it's like 320 degrees Fahrenheit. Can't remember that in Celsius off the top of my head. Um But when you heat it up to that and then cool it back down, what you get is like a hard candy, like a like a, you know, you would open up the little, you know, unwrap it like a like a humbug or a uh, one of those strawberry candies that hard crunchy, often clear or like it's, it's translucent. Um, but it's very hard and crunchy, but you know, still melts in your mouth. Um, that's candy sugar that's been heated to that point and then cooled back down. So, uh, in Belgian brewing, it's uncommon to use sugar. That's had that process done to it. You normally get it either in like these kind of broken up chunks, um, or you can get it. It's liquid. I'm not sure how they do that. It's it's a syrup. It's not like water. It's quite thick. Um, but it, it hasn't, solidified. I I don't know how that works. Uh, It might just have some water in it. I'm not sure. Um, But anyway, you add that to the beer and the beauty is it's like completely fermentable. Um, 
uh, brewer's yeast loves that stuff, just eats it up. So what you get is a drier beer with a higher alcohol content um, because none of that sugar ends up in the end product, though you will still get some of those flavor components from the process. They get left behind. So that's why you can often taste a bit of like sugariness in these beers. Um, Anyway, that's to say I was just explaining what went in and I forgot what we were talking about. Triples, though, they tend to be, again, that sort of seven and a half up to maybe around nine percent. This one's eight. Uh, They are warming, typically very complex beers. I needed a sip of this one. It's really apricotty. It's 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 very apricotty in a, in a delightful way and peachy and a little apple blossomy for sure. Oh, yeah, maybe some green apple in there. So good. Mm. And that little warm linger of sugar on the finish. Quite nice. Um, after that, you get a quadruple. We will probably do a quadruple on the podcast in the next three weeks. That's just a guess. Quads, again, tend to go back into that darker category, although they don't necessarily go as dark as some of the doubles. Some do, but they don't have to. Um, but they get big uh in the 10 percent range uh they're often very jammy dark fruit dried fruit a lot of spices but you can also start getting leathery notes some umami out of them which is a bit of a mind trip um really couldn't come up with another word there like i said i'm a little tired tonight uh but yeah, so quads get get crazy. Now, you can get these beers um, from many breweries, but where most people tend to want to get them from if they're getting them from Europe and, and now um, America uh, is from an actual Trappist uh, brewery. It's a uh, um, what's the word? An ap- apple. I always want to say Appalachian. That's the mountains. Apple. Ap- I see. I can't do it. It just doesn't come out. Uh, But one of those things where it's a culturally protected item, Uh, a little like champagne. Um, So uh, it used to be there was only seven, but now they're up to like 14 or 15 uh, certified Trappist breweries in the world. Uh, Also used to be that uh, six of them were in Belgium and one of them was in the Netherlands, I think. Uh, There are more now. I think there's one in Germany. I think there's one in England and there's definitely one in the U.S. It's in uh, upstate New York. Uh, but anyway, the key here is these are beers that are being made by actual Trappist monks, like practicing Trappist monks in a functioning Trappist brewery. And part of the deal is the proceeds of the sale of the beer have to go towards supporting the life and ministry of the uh, of the um, what's the word I'm looking for here, uh, the monastery. I was thinking church. Um, as I noted earlier. Um, it's not just Trappist breweries. There are Trappist uh, monasteries that make cheese. I think there's some that make bread. Um, There might be some that make wine. I'm not sure about that. I'm just speculating here, but they do make a variety of things. Uh, But in in our context, obviously, we're mostly interested in the beer. Um, Le Trap from Koningshoven, that's the Dutch one, and it is exceptional. Uh, Their quad is also yeah, yeah, they do a quad. It's also very good. It's not it's not my favorite. Uh, and in fact, if I can lay hands on my favorite, that's what we'll do. Uh, most famously, uh, West Veletron 12 is a quad. Uh, it's the one that people often talk about. Um, it's very good, but I've tasted it blind with a couple of others, and it was not my topic. But we'll discuss that more when we do quads eventually. In the meantime, this is a delightful triple, as noted, uh, La Trappe triple Koenigshoven as I said you buy this at the LCBO um, 
look it up on the app, but it's everywhere. It's got pretty good distribution. Um, and yeah, this is a fantastic beer. The other interesting thing about a beer like this, you can age this a bit and not a bit, a lot. We haven't talked about aging beers too much on the podcast recently because I tend to drink things like IPAs, which you don't want uh, to age, or like lagers, which have aged a little bit to begin with. But once they're ready, you don't want to wait on them. Um, you just get them in you. But uh, a triple like this at 8%, uh, I can't speak specifically to this one, uh, th this particular triple. I, mean, I don't mean this specific bottle, but I mean Koningshoven, uh, La Trappe. Uh, but many actually do um, at least change in, a, in an interesting way, if not in a good slash better way uh, with a bit of time. Um, sometimes some of that alcoholic heat drops. In other cases, it becomes more pronounced. It's hard to say. Uh, one of the impacts is that the, the character of the hop does tend to change in it. That's one of the more volatile uh, flavor compounds. And uh, what happens when that changes? Anybody's guess, but it can be very interesting. In a caged and corked bottle like that, uh, it will age for years if you want uh, with that alcohol content. Uh, age it somewhere cool, um, maybe a refrigerator, that would be fine, or uh, you know, a cool basement, don't put it near the furnace, that's stupid. Don't store it in the front window, that's also stupid. Uh, but yeah, you can age these ones a bit, so you could, uh, I mean, some people do where you get like three or four bottles, and you drink one now and make notes, and then you drink one in six months and make notes, and then in a year and then in two or something like that if you feel really geeky uh, or you can just buy one now and drink it and eat some mussels and be pretty happy with your life I would recommend that mm -mm -mm. well guys I am tired tonight uh, been, I don't want to say it it's a sense of stupid I've been exercising a lot let's go with that and uh, I'm just tired I'm tired and I have to eat so dang much do you know how hard it is to eat 110 grams of protein a day when you don't eat meat? Yeah, I do. Believe me, I do. Anyhow, uh, um, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to shut it down. There's events probably coming up. I think I even saw some I felt like I should have made a note of, as always. This is the part of the show where I pretend like this is the first time this has ever happened. But in fact, indeed, I probably should have been more attentive. Tune in next week for another Belgian or Belgian-style beer. What will it be? Only time will tell. Will it be good? You darn right, it'll be good. It'll be fantastic. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, be good out there. Take it easy. If you're in the United States of America and you are listening to this live or are you listening to it on the day it came out, a.k.a. November the 8th, 2022, that's when it'll be out on the podcast player of your choice. Please go vote. Um, I was going to say I don't care how you vote, but that's not entirely true. I hope you vote in the best interests of the people who are most vulnerable in your community, which is to say probably voting for somebody who's willing to spend some money on them. Uh, if you want to vote in your own self-interests and just try and get lower taxes, that's cool, but uh, have fun with the results. Uh, I'll say no more on that. If you are in the United States, go ahead, get out there and vote, please. And otherwise, wherever you are, I hope you have a great evening. I hope you stay safe as COVID's ramping back up, they tell us in the news. And uh, hopefully you don't have a cold like me. And if you do, I hope you feel better soon and you can taste your beer to its fullest extent. Other than that... Rob Curry's going to take us home, just like always. Check the link in the bio. That album is for sale. The Halloween album, also for sale. 
My golly, what a great time to be alive. This is Link Ray Gone by Rob Curry and the Curry Brothers, and I have been Chris Schreier on the Toronto Beer Podcast. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>